<laughs> Pot of gold. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and we've got a great show for you today. It is Saturday, July 17th, 2021. Thank you for tuning in. Joining us is my old friend, Andrew Lapidus. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player, and if you enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. It really helps. A little bit of social sharing helps them, helps me, helps you. You can find Ramble by the River on Instagram and on Facebook at Ramble by the River and on Twitter at Ramble River Pod. Although I will say I have not been tweeting lately, so you might not find much there. Um, All this information and more can be found in the show notes. Also can be found at RambleByTheRiver.com or RambleByTheRiver.Captivate.FM slash listen. Anyway, thank you to everybody who has been listening to the show and thank you to everybody who's been reaching out i really appreciate it to those of you specifically who have sent me comments on last week's episode i really appreciate it last week's episode sturgeon fishing with socrates and the dalai lama featuring pat shank has been really well received and i appreciate those comments very much it really helps me to know that i'm moving in the right direction not everyone was crazy about that episode so i was going about my business. I'm in my house actually putting in a new floor. And I got a phone call from my dad. I answer the phone. My dad's like, hey, uh, uh, yeah, everything okay? And I said, yeah. I mean, why do you ask? Well, I was listening to your podcast today and I don't know, you just sounded fucked up. I was like, what? And so I had thought I sounded fine. I really kind of thought I was talking at at least an average speed, if not faster than usual. But my dad said, yeah, it's like you were trying this new thing where you're like talking really slow, almost like you were drunk or like you were super stoned or something. I don't know. Whatever it was, I I could tell something was wrong. I could tell something was up with you. And I, I don't know. I made it through about half, but Jeffrey, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't listen anymore. And it's, and even your guest, Pat, started doing it too. So I don't know what you guys are trying, but I, I think you should go back to the old way. And so I'm just sitting there scratching my head like, what the fuck is he talking about? You know how parents can be critical. So I, I don't know. I didn't write off the idea that perhaps he just doesn't like what I did. And he's going to express that to me because he's my dad. But I thought it was okay. I really did think it was fine. So I was just confused. And I had, I went back and checked the file and it was fine. And so I'm just like, no, it's, it's got to be an issue that he's having with the actual content, not so much with the recording. But, you know, try as I might, I could not find any reason that he would think I sounded fucked up or drunk. So I called him back and I was like, dad, I have no idea what you're talking about and he really thought I was trying a new thing like as a creative as a creative exploration and that thing in his mind was me pretending to be drunk I'm like what could this possibly be and I pull up Apple Podcasts and I remember that there is a speed adjuster on the corner there and so I click the corner let's see here You are listening to me right now, so you know what my voice is supposed to sound like. This is the speed I generally podcast at. And this is what my dad heard when he listened to 45 minutes of me talking. 
in drunk half speed. That being said, we are not fact checking as we go. Ramble by the River is intended for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> and so as you can tell, that was probably infuriating and confusing. And he probably thought that his son had a stroke. So I, I thought that was really funny. He, Needless to say, he did not care for the episode until I pointed out to him that, like, yeah, that's adjustable. You can go back and start from the beginning, which I think he did. And he said it was good. So long story short, everybody loved it. To be honest, after he told me that he had listened to that much of the show on half speed, it kind of made me feel loved. I was like, oh, my dad loves me. He's listening to my show even when he thinks it's terrible and I'm drunk. So it was cool. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate it. And I'm glad we got it all figured out. So everybody has known a super fan. A super fan to me is somebody who is so into whatever it is that they're into, whether that be Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, whatever. It doesn't matter. Martha Stewart, Oprah, Pokemon. There are endless possibilities. But there's something special about a Harry Potter superfan. So many of you know them, and so many of you are them, myself included. Something about that magical world, when you click in, you're transported there, and suddenly you're home. It's just awesome writing. It's an awesome experience to read those books. And so my daughter is just finishing up her Harry Potter extravaganza. She went through the entire series, books, movies, all of it, in probably over the course of six months. And she loved them. She's full-blown super fan now. It reminded me a lot of my friend Andrew, who I went to college with. He rode with me on Western Washington Men's Crew. We had a class together. He was just a great guy. We had a lot of similar interests. We hung out a lot. When you're rowing, you don't really do a lot of stuff outside of your rowing community. So he was one of my best friends, and we spent a lot of time together. When I met him, I found out that he was into Harry Potter and not only that, but he owns Gryffindor cloaks that he wears to formal events. I don't know if he actually wears them, but that would be funny, right? <laughs> yeah, he's at a wedding and everyone else is dressed in a suit and he's got his Gryffindor cloaks on. Formal cloaks, obviously. Um, but yeah, I find it very endearing. I love people who can just be themselves unapologetically and just love what they love and not worry about what the world thinks about that, whether you're allowed to love it or not. It's great. On top of that, Harry Potter has always had a special place for me because when it first started getting popular, my mom was not into the idea of me reading books about witches and wizards and pretending to have magical powers. That's the devil if I've ever seen it. And it's not. I had a couple years of hearing everybody else talking about these amazing books and not getting to read them. And my mom wasn't keeping them from me or anything, but... It was enough to where I just like didn't want to fuck with it just in case. It's like playing with a Ouija board. I'm not going to play with a Ouija board. You will not ever get me to play with a Ouija board because I don't want to tempt fate. I don't want to tempt the occult. I don't know what's possible and what's not possible with that dark magic type shit. I don't know. Who knows? But what I do know is I don't want any part of it. I don't want to accidentally get haunted in my hand from touching a Ouija board. Well, can you imagine that? I walk around the rest of my life with a haunted wrist just because I wanted to know, like, if my dead grandmother liked chili or, you know, whatever. Kids don't know what even to ask those dead people. 
I don't know. I'm getting distracted about Ouija boards because they're of the devil. And I, I, but that's not really what this is about. My whole point really was about how Harry Potter is not of the devil. In fact, quite the opposite. Harry Potter brings nothing but joy. It's good stuff. There's nothing wrong with fantasy. Nothing wrong with it at all. I don't know how this became like an argument about the moral merits of Harry Potter. That was never an issue that I know of. So I don't know why I'm getting into this, but I'll just get to the fucking show. Also, one time when I was at a restaurant with Andrew, he had his shoes off and he left his socks on the fountain drink dispenser. And this guy would just leave socks everywhere. And I forgot to bring it up in the interview. So I just had to make sure to get that in. But yeah, the fountain drink? Pick up your socks, man. Yeah, but I, I, in a way, I'm glad that he wasn't wearing socks because, like, five minutes later, I watched a deaf man tickle Andrew's feet under the table, and that was pretty funny. Andrew did not like it. Um, anyway, I'm all over the place today, guys. I'm sorry. Okay, so Andrew graduated from Western Washington University with degree in foreign languages. He's always been very musical, and he moved to Europe six or seven years ago to pursue his musical and academic career. So that's where he's been, and we're going to hear all about that, so I won't get into it too much. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the charismatic and multifaceted Andrew Lapidus. I could really use a change of scenery. Yeah. Everybody's smoking all the greenery. Yeah. Close the matches, they were handed down to me. But I'm still fly. I'm still fly. I know. I'm still fly. I'm still fly. Let's go. It could all be worse. I could be a hater like you. It could all be to make the man, but that poison's gonna chew you. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, we good. I started getting a little bit heated. My vibe turned off the Wi-Fi, so. I think that being an American abroad, being being gone for these six or seven years, I do feel a little bit socially inept when it comes to dealing with things like that, right? Like, so I walked into this JK Rowling conversation, like, I, and I went in just just like, get a load of this. Can you believe fucking crazy yeah. some people are? You can't right? really assume those things anymore. the response anymore. is like, you monster! Yeah, yeah. So I felt exactly, yeah. And I don't know, man. I think. I mean, I really want to try to. I don't want to do. I really want to, you know, understand the whole thing. And I, I get where it's coming from, right? I get that, like, you know, uh, you know, it, yeah. I mean, I get that some of the. Some of the some of the people she's you know kind of obliquely supported yeah some of the you're always going to be able to find somebody who said some shit where you're like yeah obviously like you're, that person's being mean right yeah like someone sitting there and being like you know 
fucking men dressed up as women clothes and like fuck that shit it's like yeah you're being mean that's fucking yeah. you shouldn't say that you know you know yeah you gotta manage tone and everything because there that's a really tricky debate in the first place and if you don't use benevolent language where you're actually trying to come up with a solution not just trying to prove that you're right and they're wrong it it otherwise it makes no sense it's not worth your time yeah with jk rowling thing though I so yeah. I'm at a baseball game with my family and behind me I hear a younger she's a teenager talking about uh JK Rowling with my daughter who's 10 who's reading the Harry Potter books and loving them she's obsessed and so oh that's oh my goodness I can already tell I'd be fucking heated in your position here okay go yeah. ahead so, and so I'm I'm sitting there listening and I I didn't want her to spoil the magic that is the Hogwarts universe because of something yeah. that happened in boring old reality. Oh, 100%. Something you only get once your Harry Potter, your Harry Potter first Your first experience. read. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That deserves to be defended. Yeah. yeah. Those books are just timeless. And some comments that the author made on social media years after writing the mm-hmm. books don't hold a lot of relevance to me in terms of what makes those books special. So that's kind of the position I came from not knowing what she had said or anything about that. And so I I get my phone out and I Google, what exactly did J.K. Rowling do that has everybody so pissed off? And I found that she had supported this person who was against letting trans women compete with biological women in track and field events, I think. Right now, we don't have a good solution to solve that problem. I've coached track and field, I've competed in track and field, and where it gets kind of messy to me is just like, well, then how do you let those people compete? They can't be barred from competition because of these choices they've made or, or whether, I mean, the transition's a choice, but the feeling isn't. Like, you don't get to pick what body you came into the world as, but I mean, right. I don't know. Yeah, it, I mean, you're totally tricky. right. It's a difficult thing because you want to, like, you want to come at it with compassion. Yeah. Right? And I really believe sports, athletic com- competition, that's like, I mean, okay, human right is extreme, but that's a part of being human. Like that's part of everybody growing up, part of being a person and everybody yeah, has yeah. a right to that. And yeah, we need, we need a solution. Like it's, it's, it's hard, like somebody that's, you know, transitioning, like to just bar them from athletic competition. Like, yeah, fuck, that's, that's shitty. Yeah, it's right? not fair. The other side of it is also shitty, you know? So the biggest problem is, is that the, com- the conversation that we just kind of touched on you know, to the side obliquely in passing, that is happening anywhere, right? It's impossible right now. And that's, yeah, they that's, can't solve that. You know, nobody's having that conversation. Yeah, yeah. So I see what I see what she had done, and it was pretty minor, in my opinion. I I just it wasn't like she made a big statement. All she did was support mm-hmm. this other person who did make statements, and the statements are controversial, but mm-hmm. they're they're not cut and dry. It's not an easy solution. Like I think of my daughters and who compete in right. running events and I really I want them to have a fair playing field. I want them to be able to compete against people who are are literally their peers and so that when they win it feels good and and I don't think it's fair um that being said, I don't know how else to do it. It's it's really complicated. But I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I looked that up and saw that what the debate was and I just turned around and I was just like, hey, J.K. Rowling may have said stuff. She could say whatever she wants. It doesn't change what Harry Potter's all about. Harry Potter is a good dude. Like, 
He's just mm-hmm. out there living his life, trying to kill Voldemort. Like he's not trying to hurt anybody. He's not trying to regulate track and field events. Period. He just but, wants to catch, catch that snitch, you know, get him a little I mean, bit of Jeff, butter beer, and he he's the one who conquered death. Exactly. He's the one who conquered death and greeted death as an equal. I mean, let let's just go out and say it, right? He's better. Also, than all of us. Yeah. Quidditch was very co-ed. What was that girl who was all the catching the snitches for that other team? Cho Chang. Well, there's, yeah, Cho Chang was seeker. Ginny was seeker for a while while Harry was out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and J.K. Rowling says openly, like, one of the great, I mean, this is an older quote, but she says openly, like, one of the things I wanted to put into the magical world is once you take physical thing, you know, physical prowess out of it, once you're doing magic, I mean, there's no, you know, those strength differences are basically erased right think about it's like yoda great aurors and like the real like badass you know fighters yeah totally totally it's like jedi it's exactly like jedi you're right yeah yeah um so so she's very aware of this you know and yeah she's also a person who's yeah i don't don't need to go and we don't need to go into like a a biograph biography of jk rowling but we could let it be said i'm a big fan and i i I do feel like a super fan yeah oh also deserves it I just found out the crown queen. I just found out the other day that she wrote under a pseudonym pseudonym that book um, Cuckoo's Calling and the book sucked. I'm sorry, yeah. JK. Yeah, bro, you you read that not knowing it was JK Rowling? Yeah, years a couple years ago. And I didn't love it. Really? And uh, yeah, Get did you fuck? read it? You must be the only person you must be the only person. Yeah, I've read it. I read her whole. She has a crime series going on. Mm. Uh, I can't. You, but you must be the only person. You must be the only person that read that. Just being like, oh, whatever. Just a random. Uh, I like the cover. I think I'll pick this up. I no, always judge a book by its great cover. cover. That back, you know, like. Yeah. Well, what do I think of the series? You know, I mean, my opinion on that series is, yeah, it's pretty formulaic. You got, um, you know, kind of gruff. The- veteran detective with like the shy little you know nubile assistant right are they gonna get together are they not okay yeah formulaic but here's what jk does you see it in harry potter you see it in these books too she's a fucking architect right the the kind of meticulous planning that goes into this book i mean it's like to me it's a borderline borderline schizophrenic right like how do you Uh how do you make a world like this right where it feels like you're she's really like you know you know she's bocked it as in johann sebastian it's just such a like who spent some time in vienna did he not like things that are set up after each other you know you know he actually didn't he was up there in in the german side of things right very loose took a shot away from the court in vienna but you know almost we got there took a shot yeah took a shot yeah (laughs) But you know, it, it, that's something that's just remarkable about her, and th- yeah. that's that's what's wild about J.K. The she's architecture, the, the level yeah. of complexity. I don't get it. I don't. I don't know how that's possible. She's dropping hints for Harry Potter books, you know, before the next thing's going on. You know, you just think. Do you think she had outlined the entire series ahead of what? time, or or she kind of wrote it and made it up as she went along? She you definitely, still? she definitely outlined. I mean, pretty extensively. Here's a fact for you let's here's, uh here's your factoid right mm-hmm. i gotta say this because i've been ready for this factoid she gets the idea for harry potter about 1991 or so the first uh-huh. book comes out in 1997 okay i think so she's she's planning for four or five years right and the remarkable thing to me 
Okay, the remarkable thing here is she's at this point, you know, she's got a child, she's a single parent, no job, just living straight off welfare. And she's writing the book. We've all heard that story a thousand times. But I just think about being her friend. Like, imagine you've got a friend that's like, you know, quote, oh, you feel so bad for her. That novel for five years with a baby. At what point are you being a shitty friend not to be like, hey, hey, listen, Joe, hang fuck it up. This book, you got a kid. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Like, you need to get a job. You know, she, it's that class, you know, yeah. Yeah. Fucking goddamn welfare queens. Yeah. she's she's forever she'll forever have that story that is an unbelievable story right yeah it's a bad uh Unreal. probably a bad role right. model for a lot of losers out there <laughs> right yeah a lot of people suck at writing they're just yeah. like using that as their hope you know well i mean you got to pursue not your dreams a, not a representative example guys so if like if i'm jk rowling and i hate writing uh -huh. and i don't have a job but i i just think if i write this book it's gonna do uh -huh. well I, I'm going to hang it up. But if I just love right. writing and I don't really care if the right. book succeeds or not, it's just like this story's in me and I got to get it out, then uh, I'm going to write the book. Right. And it, boom, it's going to blow up. Yeah. But most people can't write that book. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, by definition, I mean, otherwise there'd be a lot more fucking novels taking over the world, right? I mean, it's a, yeah. it's, it's, it's so remarkable. It's just unheard of. I mean, especially in the world of books. I mean, what the fuck? It was such Who a even reads anymore? thing. There's never been, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, okay. So we've had celebrity authors before, but like JK Rowling, you know, people, at least she's got paparazzi, right? Superstar. Fucking, you know, what's his face? Like, yeah, Stephen King yeah. didn't have. She's like, like the white you know, Stephen King. Taking photos of him in his in his speedo. Yeah, well, <laughs> she's the white Stephen King. Yeah, that's that's the tag for this episode. She's, you ever read Stephen King? J.K. Rowling is like the white Stephen King. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it right now, and I was thinking about him when you said that because he's somebody who just fucking starts writing. Right? I fucking love Stephen King stuff. He just goes. Some of it sucks. I love Stephen King too, and it's. Yeah, but well, there's a lot of it. Exactly. Got, that's, some of it's gotta suck, right? That's why I make a podcast every week. <laughs> some of them gotta be good. Right. My, my favorite Stephen King books are mm. the ones, though, that aren't like super creepy, but they're just kind of like weird. Mm. Um, what was the one I just read last year? It's about like this group of Stephen kids. Stephen King, I want to see because I, I basically only read the like the blockbusters, right? Uh -huh. So I've read Carrie it and um i read the shining which was a fucking stupid decision because that's a hard book to get through but give me one that'll like really yeah and the movie is so fucking great i'm that, trying to I think mean, of the name of this one i read last year but it was really good but it was like the institute or something but it's about these uh like basically mental institutions for kids where they take all these special kids who have like a little tiny bit of powers explained scientifically through like uh what mm. what do they say um brain derived neurotropic factor which is a real thing and they can actually measure but they said that oh. that's what's causing these kids to be able to like have very very light telekinesis and uh telepathy and um all that stuff and so they find these kids all over the world that are making these crazy things happen like and, and then they train them and figure out how to use them as a weapon to, like, kill foreign enemies and stuff like that. It's pretty oh, cool. Lord. It's kind of like the MK Ultra experiments. Oh, God. 
I don't know enough about that. I know you're the, you were you were the psychonaut in our friend group for a while there at Western, but I don't know enough about those. I like to explore a little bit. Okay. I was going to say one of my, like, you know, like everybody has to have their first, um, like, just edible experience where they just, like, you know, look over the edge. Yes. Right? Everybody has to have that experience. Into the abyss. Everybody has that story of, like, you had a little you had a little bit of edible and you're like, oh, is it working? Am I high? And then 10 minutes later, you're like, is this uh, just my life now? I lost connection to my body. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is it forever. And my experience of that was with you when uh-huh. I was 20 years old in your apartment. You made weed brownies and I had some and my fucking soul turned inside out. And I, were was good batch. On, I, I just lay on the couch while you guys just had a lovely little time. You and you were, demanded you a blanket. A little time and just seemed Get to be me that blanket. High. And I remember <laughs> being on the couch I, I remember being demanding. Was that? Do you remember yeah. this? Do you have any memory? Yeah. Of this? Oh yeah, I remember it well. You were you were like resentful. Yeah. You were resentful that I had made such strong brownies. Yeah. And it's not like I pressured you into eating it. Um, actually, yeah. I think I might have even warned you. But you were like, I'm a brownie I think guy. You did. Yeah, I'm gonna no, eat it. Oh, certainly. I, but I remember not being able to believe that. Um, I mean, I think now people are more aware of it, but whatever. This was 2010 or whatever. I, yeah. I, I had no idea that like eating edibles could be just so far beyond what you would know from smoking, right? Ah, uh, yeah. So I could not believe that there wasn't something else in them, right? And so I remember just yeah. asking. Oh yeah, you, you thought about I, that. I drugged you. You guys were just laughing because of course it's fucking hilarious, right? Yeah, you thought you like you guys. Of course it's fucking hilarious. So I'm sitting there and I literally, I, I, I remember it because. Um, I had this vision of like literally my soul inside of myself, which was independent from my body. Like I had a spirit and I was touching my body and looking at my body and felt zero connection to it. It was a very weird, terrifying thing. That's what happens on PCP. This this is not, I'm not high. This is something new. You were having disassociation. (laughs) Well, so yeah. So I was having some, some, some fun there and i remember just telling you i remember telling you to stop talking you were just having a conversation and i was just like stop talking across the room talking and you guys have thought of course it's hilarious right yeah of course i was just alone in my corner like talk about something else please you were we and, you hadn't and talked for a long time and me and matt were over across the room yeah. talking and you, you just out of nowhere you're like somebody get me a blanket you were mad <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I just refuse to believe that there wasn't something else in it. Uh-huh. Is, that I, is what I recall. And then and if, also if I... that, that my this just wasn't my life from now on. Yeah, that you would be stuck in this place forever. I think we tucked you into my roommate Thomas's bed. You know, and, both uh, classic things. You know, yeah, classic very common things that you would that people know. Yeah, exactly. Now it's like you know, uh, fuck, don't you, you know? Yeah, okay. This is I had a little too much. This is normal when you eat edibles. But at the time, I just remember being like, what is this? Yeah, you're seeing fractal yeah. patterns and good time. Good this time. ancient geometry popping mm-hmm. up in your in your vision. Yeah. That actually really yeah. does happen. If, if I've ever had a lot of edibles and then try to go to sleep, I see like patterns, visual patterns and faces uh, yeah. that are just like constantly changing, which is cool. So it you seems like we got a podcast about like an 
ego death you had on sh- on shroom sorry to keep going yeah. with this but i, I put that at the very end of a of a podcast so that, no one would I've, hear it yeah oh i'm sorry well, go ahead i fucking listen you got one fan at least yeah but i've been really i've been trying to get into meditation for like oh, a couple cool. two or three years now right and um i was just super fascinated by when you were talking about like you talked about like a re-entry of like remembering you were jeff nesbitt right yeah yeah, uh, yeah. There's an anecdote about peeing, which was funny. But then there was this, this like hidden in that you're like, yeah, you had to like, yeah, like re-enter Jeff, right? Yeah, in the most wholesome way possible, right? That it was as weird. if as if but the hard drive it had been absolutely fucking wild. Swiped like they like somebody had just cleared my my hard drive, and then I one thing at a time had to add it all back in and. Um, I, I I don't know for sure if this is accurate, but I would guess that 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 kind of rebuilding process probably has something to do with the therapeutic effect that they're seeing now with like PTSD and that kind of thing. Where like during memory reconsolidation, yeah. where you pull a memory out of long term storage and have it available for your conscious viewing, and then when you put it back in long term storage, it's uh-huh. reencoded. And every time that happens, your brain makes changes to the memory adds and subtracts things to make it fit your current narrative. So what if during that process with the right chemicals, there's, you have a, a, an option to just kind of store it more efficiently or, or trim out the parts that you don't need. Like if you have a memory of a traumatic event that is kind of like at the core leading you Mm -hmm. to pursue things like drugs or alcohol or bad relationships, maybe there's a type of therapy that could be developed where you, you fix it. If, you're on the, these types mm. of chemicals, like you pull the pain out of the memory that uh, you change the way it's encoded and change the memory itself so that the next time you bring it up, it doesn't lead to that same negative effect. Who knows? So the way that you're putting it, it's like when you have that re-entry experience, it's like you have the opportunity, which you wouldn't normally get of like rewriting that like core Jeff file, right? The, yeah. The, the, boot, the boot file for Jeff Nesbitt. You yeah. can rewrite it and touch something that in a normal, you know, human personality is just sort of locked, right? Yeah, it's already in place. But stuff becomes that is more plastic. Wild to think about. Well, I mean, I know that they're yeah. having good that is results wild to with think about. I have Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I I have zero experience with uh, with with shrooms. Just with I've been th- I did a lot of meditation and had a had an experience of like, you know, you can kind of have the experience of being disassociated from from experience, right? In quote, mm-hmm. like, diff, you know, from sensation. But the way that you put it, it just, well, obviously it's going to be more extreme than like, you know, me sitting on a chair. But um, the way that you put it was like really captivating. But yeah, go ahead. I mean, I don't remember what episode that was, but sound sound absolutely wild. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, there's a bunch. There's they're all over the place. They're happening now, all over. They're doing them with MDMA, which has had a lot of success with PTSD. Uh-huh. But the the thing that I find really interesting about the psilocybin is that they a lot of researchers think that it has neurogenic effects, like the ability to create new neurons, which is something that we didn't really even know was possible okay. a few years ago. When I was in college, they were still teaching okay. that neuroplasticity and the the changes occurring in the brain, like new construction of neurons and 
creation of new synapses. That was something that was restricted to children and then in adults, only tiny, tiny portions of the brain like the hippocampus. Uh-huh. And that's just not true. They're finding right. now that it's it's possible in a lot of other places, but we're, we get entrenched into these thought patterns and, and, I mean, everything, movement patterns, everything that we do starts in the brain. So once we figure out the easiest way to do something, we oftentimes don't see a need to change it. Why would you? It's That's not an efficient strategy for, you know, right. uh, adaptation. So is someone who's a non-initiate, right? Like I've only, I have very limited experience with psychedelics, right? And I've only uh-huh. seen these like, these these studies where, yeah, you've got acid, which is, I've, I've tried that in a very limited way, right? Where people just can have wild, you know, psychedelic experiences, right? But But what you see about the psilocybin experience, right? That's the one where people in these experiments, they'll have a psilocybin trip and then a month later, they'll rate it as one of the most meaningful experiences of their lives along with the birth of their child, right? Or they'll have a psilocybin. There's that experiment of like, you know, people in seminary and they slip. This is like in the 50s. I'm sure you've heard of it where they it's like people in seminary to become ministers and they slipped like half of them psilocybin. The others were just in a control group. And like those 10 people that got psilocybin, like nine of them actually became ministers. You know, they had like an intense religious experience. So it seems like with psilocybin, you're getting these like really meaningful experiences, right? Which apparently yeah. aren't there with acid. So my question to you is like someone who's kind of with it, like what is the experience, like what is experientially happening there that's different with acid, right? With acid, uh-huh. at least in my experience, it's like, well, I went kind of crazy for 10 hours. I know what it's like to be fucking crazy now. But yeah. there was, what, what is the experience of shrooms that's leading to this other side? Like, what is it about the experience that's making people rate it as, like, meaningful, you know? So I think it's that a... That would interest me. I think it's a multivariate problem. I think that one of the factors that's going to contribute to that is going to be, first of all, your your intention and mindset going into the experience. Just mm-hmm. that alone has has the power to shape your experience pretty profoundly. And, and that's with or without drugs. Like, and I know it, like it's very obvious, but people don't really think about that going into every experience of their entire lives. But you really shape what's going to happen by your expectations and then how reality compares to that and then how you react to that comparison. But yeah, so if you're going into an experience thinking it's supposed to be a certain way or expecting uh, that you're going to feel a certain way about it, that's generally a bad strategy because regardless of whether or not your expectations mm-hmm. are met you're kind of limiting your experience you're limiting the ability for your experience to be something that surprises you and then it, you're kind of creating a situation where if that does happen you're not pleased about it and it's and it could spiral you but if you go into it with an openness and a genuine mm-hmm. curiosity about just exploring what could be possibly there then i don't see how you can really fail like you go into it and just be like i'm gonna look and see what's it going on in there and it might be something scary and if it is i'm gonna survive and it might be something beautiful and if it is i'm just gonna try to cherish it and appreciate it as it comes but i wouldn't say that psilocybin versus acid i wouldn't say or lsd same thing i wouldn't say that those experiences are are exclusively even different I would say that it's it's a lot has a lot to do with, really? okay. with the characteristics of the environment and the expectations because they don't they do a pretty similar thing in the brain. 
Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there's a lot more going on in mushrooms just with all the other compounds and biological, just, it's a living thing. It's, it's something that it's just not the same as a, as a molecule that was produced in a lab. And it, the feeling is different in that way. Like, but, but is it true that, that these experiments are, are different? Like people, people rate psilocybin experiences as being much more you know, quote unquote, meaningful, or is that not, is that not, that, really true? that could be not, true, but it could be, with that. it could be true, uh, but it could also just be the result of demand characteristics of the experiments and people's, uh, uh-huh. and just like yeah. which experiments have been done. My personal belief is that you could probably produce equally profound uh, mystical experiences with acid, psilocybin, DMT, salvia, um, ayahuasca, which is like mm-hmm. another form of DMT. And all of those, you know, administered under the right circumstances by people who you can trust. The trust is, is crucial. If you don't trust right. the person who's helping you through right. it, your, your guide, if you don't have that bond, it will probably be a pretty negative experience. Because then you're, you're not only are you playing catch up with your consciousness and trying to figure out what's real and what's not, you're also trying to figure out if, if this human who humans we know to be inherently selfish and not always that trustworthy. You're also having to try to mm. make sure that they're not going to take advantage of you while you're in this vulnerable state. But if you're in the right circumstances yeah. where Christ. you're, you can trust your environment, you can like fully just let go and just let what's going to happen come. It's probably going to be pretty good. Did you just eat a booger? No. I'll oh. check the tapes. Can you see me? Oh, yeah. you can. No, I'm not. <laughs> No, I'm literally sitting here like just thinking. I was not even aware that yeah. I was on the video. I'm just sucking my teeth or whatever. I would uh, admit to eating boogers. Of course. I know this sounds so fucking suspicious, but uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> well, I know, but dude, we no, stopped yeah, but, eating boogers in yeah, America actually, since you left. We don't do it over right? anymore. I'm gonna yeah. need to adjust, I heard they're right? a delicacy over there. It's critical Austria. race theory and no boogers. Those are the differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh man, part critical the, race theory. Part of the culture. That's a big, big time yeah, buzzword right so now. Fucking all over the place. Yeah. Now it's a buzzword. Yeah. Now it's a buzzword. And now, it, once it's a buzzword, you can forget it. No yeah. more discussion will be had. Right. That's right. Because you got to pick your side. We're, just, we're done now with that. Same I don't thing even... happened with the phrase cancel culture. Right. Yeah. Like it used to be a thing you could talk about. Now it's like, if I talk about like, you know, yeah. I mean, now it's like just co-opted by the far right and um, if you be like oh we might have a problem with that canceling then all yeah. of a sudden you're part of those or you know it's just it, again no more discussion is possible it it's all like tribalism it's all just dead. you versus me yeah. us versus them and after all yeah. we're only ordinary men pink floyd pink floyd i forgot you were a pink floyd dog oh hell I yeah i forgot about that uh-huh. We had that in common. Oh. oh, yeah. We were both into the wall uh, during the crew years. Oh, dude. I was trying to think yeah. of memories uh, yeah. of us from crew that were good memories. Yeah. And I have this one of us. It was either after a race or a, a really hard practice. But it was one where everybody in the car is just kind of like pissed. And <laughs> me and you kind of had a similar yeah. uh, attitude about those kind of days. I don't remember you really getting pissed. And I didn't really ever feel pissed. I just kind of like took yeah. things as it come. It was all miserable, so um, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't like more upset. I'm so happy you uh, have that memory. 
But yeah, yeah. Go the ahead. misery is something I look back on fondly. I think suffering builds character. Yeah. But I remember this one particular day where we're driving and I had got the, a hold of the aux cable for my phone and I was just like, fuck it, I'm gonna spread my wings. And I put on some Paul McCartney and wings. Not expecting anybody to, to yeah. recognize it or, I mean, we, that's band on the run, you know, the, the big ones that people would know. But um, Uncle Albert came on and I was just oh, like, yeah. that's my jam. I love it. Live a little, be a gypsy, get around. Get your feet up off the ground. Live a little, get around. But I didn't expect anybody to... to, Oh, yeah. I'll go all falsetto. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, and then you started singing this song, and I was just like, fuck yeah. He knows good music. Won me over instantly. I was just like, ah, this guy's good people. Yeah. He knows uh, Admiral Mm -hmm. Hazley. So music's always been a pretty big part of your life, right? I mean, yeah. What what are you doing yeah, in music yeah, now? A huge part, yeah. Well, dog, I sing at the the an opera house here in Vienna, right? Wow. Um, I actually since moving to Austria, I did a lot of work in Austrian folk music in the south, right? I did I did like wow. a research paper with the University of Vienna, um, and worked at a choral festival that's down there, and then I've just kind of been slowly working my way up to um, yeah, to working in these small opera houses. Full disclosure, I in 2015 and 2016, I really wanted to study voice in in Austria. Uh-huh. And I worked my fucking ass off studying, taking lessons and doing theory tests. And I learned an absolute shitload in those two years. And in the end, they said I was too old. I was already too the, old, the, um, too old. I was 25, 26. You should have castrato uh, yourself when you had the chance. Yeah, I should have chopped those right off. Yeah, little little did you know, five years later, I'd be an absolute, I'd be brave, right? You but could be an Olympic time, athlete by now. Exactly, boy. Yeah, that's something to call back. But anyways, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, so I learned a shitload there and that kind of, you know, I didn't get into these, you know, prestigious schools, but it did kind of open up a little door to, to, to be doing music. Um, cool. So yeah, I sing in the opera house here. I just what what's your vocal range are you a tenor you know i'm actually i'm the highest baritone there is so my range that was my is a little guess. bit more like a tenor yeah yeah my range is a little bit more like a tenor but when mm. i sing you know supported and doing it it doesn't really have the timbre oh the timbre yeah, spelled yeah, with an i a, people a tenor right it doesn't it doesn't um it doesn't really sound like a tenor. It sounds a little bit darker, a little bit fuller. Okay. And so they will put me as a baritone. But you know, when you're when you're singing, they'll they'll just classify you that way. Those those uh-huh. those classifications are just for you know convenience sake. They don't really describe the multifaceted nature of the human voice as an instrument. Yeah, I I really am fascinated by the voice. Is I've thought about it a lot more recently since starting this podcast. Just of really? like how you're yeah. how you're generating sound, like out of just mm. you, it's like your vocal flaps are a, basically just like a whistle, and you're just breathing on them, your breath yeah. whistle. A hundred percent, yeah, it, it is truly amazing. I mean, it's it is wild, and, yeah. and the further deep you can, it, it's endless pit. You know, you can you can really get into like the production of sound side of things like you're talking about, but you can also talk about like the linguistic side of it, like what is happening 
in the vocal tract to make p right a p sound right yeah and then think about what what's you know a plosive the only difference the yeah the only difference and then you learn like the relationship between a p and a b the only difference is that the vocal folds are vibrating right you learn mm -hmm. like little relationships about those things it's super fascinating right on, it really on is every every way you look at it i mean language is what makes people people right so of course it's it's like you get the elephant's got a trunk right elephant's got a trunk you know whatever the uh duckbill platypus has got a duckbill and we've got fucking we make words right yeah that's our and, and it structures our whole reality like how the language yeah. it is basically the framework for how we understand the world around us yeah and because I mean, because we have yeah. these words that we can use to represent meaning we can talk about abstract things that we wouldn't be able to even interact with otherwise without language you couldn't you couldn't discuss dreams you couldn't talk about what you want or what you enjoy things would just be or yeah. not be yeah i mean it's a, it's it kind of gets you into this evolutionary chicken and chicken and the egg thing to think about where it comes from right yeah. so we have the need to talk about things that aren't there right and then we have words that allow us to talk about concepts that aren't there right and it's like, yeah you see that somebody clearly like there was some family that it, where it just must have clicked and then just think about the fucking advantage you have once you can do that right oh yeah you know like it's wild it's wild it is to think about. it really yeah. is and the I mean, chicken or the egg thing is interesting because it could be like maybe humans were just this animal that decided out of necessity like hey we got to figure out a way to communicate better let's start making noise and agree on what that means mm -hmm. or maybe that uh those concepts that needed to be represented maybe they manifested themselves through humans as like the the thoughts manifested the matter rather than the matter manifesting the thought who knows yeah i mean yeah i mean that's a wild i think like the chomsky side of things would definitely be that like you know the thoughts manifesting the matter right i don't know i think i don't know i mean it's so nobody does you know yeah i mean have you have you read the language instinct by stephen pinker no, I it's haven't. Like, it's in like the '90s. You must be a Pinker fan, though, right? Didn't we? I, we I have about talked him. about him a little bit. His okay. ideas are super popular um, for people who want to talk, who want to justify, uh, like, eh, I, I, I'm not going to make that joke. <laughs> the, the Pinker's ideas seem like they're popular for people who want to uh, keep the status quo. Like mm. a lot of a lot of the woke culture yeah. is like things are not great right now for a lot of groups, and then Pinker's right. like. It's okay. Things are okay for us. Right. But it's all just about perspective, I think. But anyway, yeah. the language instinct. Yeah, so he so he's very famous now for yeah, like better angels of our nature and enlightenment enlightenment now, which are much more like political and more about history. But his his background is a psychologist and a linguist, right? Mm -hmm. And the language instinct it's from like ninety four, like pretty old school, like, you know, before he was a kind of a you know intellectual celebrity as he yeah. is now but it's yeah which kind of make unfortunately makes it difficult to have real com you know talk about it as we're saying people but should just not put book, authors names on books anymore <laughs> agreed yeah that's now now we're talking right just it's all about the ideas like wikipedia yeah 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 wikipedia for all <laughs> by the way fucking can't all this shit we're dealing with with the internet like fuck facebook fuck Insta, like fucking you know 
Russian hackers, fucking fake news, all this shit, you know, vaccines. Yeah. Fucking Wikipedia, they had the winning formula. Who would have bet on Wikipedia in 2002? Right? That that Everybody was it. using it, but Somehow nobody trusted that's it. like the most trusted source out there. Yeah. Yeah. But wouldn't you fucking know it? They have the goddamn winning formula. Open source. All right. So back to what back to the language instinct. Yeah. That book is all about. Yeah. 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 But that book is all about talking what you're saying, like, you know, how revolutionary it was that Chomsky would talk about, like, you know, that there's a universal grammar and it's imprint in, implanted in our heads. Right. That we have an inborn capacity to learn language. And then Pinker takes it further and say, this is actually this is our, I mean, he does use the elephant trunk as the metaphor. Like, this is what made us viable, right? This is, uh -huh. think about what an, like, when people are trying to teach chimps how to, how to speak, he's like, his argument is, you might as well try to teach a human to jump like a kangaroo, right? Like, why would you do that? That's our niche, right? Uh -huh. Our niche is language talking about, like you're saying, abstract concepts that aren't there. And, um, you know, also that allows us to have like crazy social networks that no other, you know, no other animal can have. So yeah, super, super interesting. It Language is. and vocal production goes all the way down. Have, how has yeah. that been with you with the podcast? Have you had vocal issues? Have you had tired, you know, have you had to Not focus so much. on? No, no, I really don't. I, I sing a lot and um, yeah. that I think that just kind of, Keep some keep some limber. I don't know. I, I haven't had any issues whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, breath is. I do breath work you know, too, so that's another yeah. thing that helps. Mm. But you I do know, notice voice is a lot like it's pretty analogous to to sports actually. Like you probably really like people. There are people who just have like a lot of endurance in their voice, right? For mm -hmm. whatever reason, just like there's runners and there's strength athletes, right? There are people who have loud, heavy voices but no endurance. There are people who have like really voices made out of iron where like nothing can break it, right? Uh -huh. Like they can fuck up and sing or say something incorrectly and it doesn't really make a difference. And there are people who have loud, heavy, fragile voices, right? Where they have to really pay attention to technique, make sure something's placed the right way. I think that's how I And if they mess that up for like what, a single second, it'll be fucked up. That's kind of how I have. I have, a, I have a heavy voice, but if I lose focus, I can very easily break it for like uh -huh. an hour at a time, right? Yeah. And it just, I, I, I have a high fatigue level if I fuck up my technique or what I'm oh, doing. Oh yeah. I, I'm very, I can really easily fatigue my voice. And there are people like that will sing, they've had zero voice lessons and from the beginning of their career to the end of it, they've been able to just belt Wagner shit and smoke cigarettes for three, four hours at a time, right? There yeah, really I've wondered are, about like, that. You know, there just are voice just, freaks. I mean, yeah, yeah, man. I mean, it's like it, just like anything else. Level, it's like the Olympics. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like the Olympics. You know, it's like fucking. How does Usain Bolt run that way? It's like, yeah, I'm sure he's trained a lot on his technique, but yeah, you look at the videos. Like a Safa Powell, fucking looks way more efficient. But Usain Bolt is just, you know, whatever is yeah. just working better, right? He's so just like born to do it. Like that. He's yeah. the Stephen King yeah. of running. He's the J.K. Rowling. Of, uh, yeah, of, uh, he's the black yeah. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. But yeah, no, it, 
but so you but you haven't you haven't had like real struggles after no i get i start to get um i start to lose some of the push at, like mm-hmm. towards the end of the day I, i'll start to my diaphragm will start to get weak and i won't be able mm. to hit the the my lower voice will kind of start to fade and crack um oh, i also notice that yeah. it happens more if i've taken kratom you ever heard of kratom no is this a supplement is this it's a it's a plant it's a legal legal plant that people use uh it's got like a opiate like effect but um okay. i start I taking it a greek god it could be k-r-a-t-o-m kratom kratom whatever that's nice it, it it's got a good uh like pain relieving effect if i'm super sore or something i'll take it but i have noticed mm, that okay. when i've taken it it my voice will get kind of like hoarse and and weird and i don't know i wonder if yeah. that's just me or if that's actually something that other people have no, noticed it, of course it has to be something i mean if it's affecting your the your muscles and the tension in your um, that's know, probably what it is body. just loosening up those muscles that. yeah 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 oh 100 percent. yeah i mean there's again like everybody tries to make hard and fast rules like don't drink coffee it's bad for the voice no it's not really that it's more about knowing mm-hmm. your own instrument but yeah of course things like that always have a fucking it's it's really analogous to sports it it yeah. truly is right like, everything you, you do know matters your own body as the number one rule and yeah, everything you do matters. Maybe you drink a shitload of pasta and then it fucks with you the next day. Or maybe you're one of the people that you drink a shitload of pasta and you're fucking, you know, ready to go in the morning, right? It's uh-huh. like knowing your own your own piece. But what's your hey, favorite you kind of? A, you've got a good voice though. You've got a good voice Thank for you. it though. You got you got a lot of um, shimmer in your voice. It's rather mm. it's a little bit high, but it's it's it a little bit. Little um, it's in the yeah. I mean, you, you're probably a tenor, I would say, but a you've tenor. also got some weight. You've got some weight to it, right? Like I, I think I actually not. could be lower, but I train yeah. myself not to talk super loud because... Right, yeah. You, I don't okay. know. And That's it, interesting. Well, yeah, like if I'm if I want to talk to where... I, I don't like to be in a room full of people and have everybody be able to hear what I'm saying unless I'm public speaking. I, I just want to be able to talk to the person next to me and have them be able mm-hmm. to hear me. It actually drives me crazy. It's like a pet peeve of mine. If I'm having a conversation with somebody in a room that's full of other people and I can tell that they're talking loud enough for everyone to hear on purpose as if it's, they're like some, doing some kind of a performance. I'm just like, hey, just talk to me. We're right here. Let's just, right, I don't yeah. need, we don't need to involve everybody yeah. else. But yeah. yeah, I don't know why, but I, I, most of my talking is done up here in the, in the head voice. But yeah, I but guess you've got could... a lot of formant is what you'd call it, right? You have a lot of like high that overtones. Uh-huh. It's like a lot of high overtones in your voice, right? Like I have a lot been... of, I would call it shimmer. Right? Yeah, I would so call like it shimmer. When you speak, yeah, I don't. I've King, been told that I'm our it... generation's Adam Levine. <laughs> well, that just proves you don't understand what I'm talking about. But no, Does I mean, he look, not have a lot of shimmer? Up. His voice I is pretty no thin. Yeah, actually. Yeah, exactly. No, you're, you mean you're like, it's like baritonal, but it's also quite high, right? It's, you've got a lot of just like forwardness, a lot of formant, okay. a lot of like ping to your voice, right? Good. You know? I'll take that as a like, compliment. Say, so say you have like a voice on this end of things. Do you hear? You have a off, voice right? on but this I, end of things. No, but if I brought it back down here, that's sort of the opposite of where your voice is, right? Oh, I don't it's even know if I could talk dark. like that. It's, Hello. it's dark. I don't not, know. Yeah, to, see, see. <laughs> I can't really do see, yeah, that. But <laughs> you might want to consider that for your podcast. 
right? Hello, and welcome to another <laughs> exciting episode. Yeah. But see, your natural voice is quite forward, quite pinging uh-huh. with, with yeah, a lot yeah. of performance, which is good. You'll be able to be heard over an orchestra, right? So That's great. what I always shoot for. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, if you're playing an orchestra in the background of my podcast, just stop it. Just listen to the podcast. Do the orchestra stuff right. later. Multitasking um, is a myth. Do you sing with an orchestra sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, of course. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Pretty dope. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's um, it's something you learn like anything. It's just a skill, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a there's an artistic component to it, but in the end, I feel like all art is in the end a skill, right? And everybody who says oh, yeah. is basically lost. I think that keeps, not really understanding that keeps a lot of potential artists from pursuing any kind of endeavor because they think it's just inherent. Like the skills are just right. bestowed upon good artists and that they're just born with it. But I don't think it's like that. I, I mean, you, there's a, definitely an inherent tendency to be good at certain things, but you got to learn right. how to do it still. Like, Absolutely. Everybody has yeah. gifts, but I, I keep going back to the architect metaphor, right? Like we all understand that an architect has to have crazy amount of creativity, right? I mean, it's, it's if anything, it's ultimate creativity, right? But we also intuitively understand the architect is there to serve a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're like doing some crazy shit. But it, but we also understand the architect is there to like serve a very practical purpose, right? Your, yeah, so there's parameters. Is, right, is subordinate to what are you actually trying to build, right? Are you trying to build a really cool health club? But yeah, obviously you can be super creative there. But in the end, it's also like limited to, um, to that. And I think, That's actually yeah, a great example. Fucking, yeah, I, mean, I that applies to a lot of different artistic artistic endeavors. Yeah. Honestly, there's a really great book. I wish I could think of the name, but my brother is a, a jazz pianist, which is um, you know huge pianist, right? Uh-huh. Robbing pianist, right? Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of obviously improv is huge. And he recommended this book to me once, which was about the thesis of this book was that the origin of creativity is in limits, right? The origin of creativity is paradoxically in limitation i can buy so it think about a chessboard right if you've just got a fucking chessboard with all the pieces there yeah okay you've got endless creativity i can pick up a pawn and fucking hurl it at you yeah but the creativity of chess comes from the rigid limitation of how the pieces move and you know what my opponent can, the the roles that we play and like you know the tradition that my opponent is playing in the true creativity you have the opportunity for real creativity once you have limitations right yeah if i just handed you a fucking pencil and a paper and like draw something it's like yeah okay you've got ultimate creativity right but if i said like you know i don't know draw a self-portrait and you can only make 10 lines okay weirdly you can feel intuitive i mean i feel it like intuitively like weirdly now we're in a mode where we could see some real creativity right i actually gonna felt draw the juices start flowing when you said I that the juices fuck i just made that up and i felt the fucking juices right but <laughs> yeah it, yeah that, i mean that's the that's the thesis of this book that's what my so my brother is doing all the improv stuff for his fucking you know that's how he feeds himself and his family right mm-hmm. but the idea is that is is very real right however our minds work right maybe you know better than me but once you set those little parameters for yourself that's you got to give yourself an arena where creativity can really go 
right? Yeah. Everybody's had the feeling of being like, what do I do with my day? And having zero idea. And it's, you know, it's the start of depression for me, right? It's like fucking. Yeah. Right? Too many but options, you no have, motivation. Yeah, 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 exactly. And everybody can feel, but everybody feels immediately that thing of like, well, I've got to do this, this, and this today. What am I going to do? Immediately, you know, you've got you've got the opportunity for expression in a weird way. It makes zero, it makes, on that level, it makes zero sense. But then once you think about it, it's like, yeah, that is what creativity is. It's like, you have a blank you have canvas. You have a problem to solve. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have something to solve. So I think that you just hit the nail on the head. It's the problem solving instinct. And like, that's where humans really shine at solving problems. And that's, I think the basis right. for not only creativity, but also like the way we structure our world is like we're set up to try to solve problems and anticipate new problems. And that's what we're doing all the time. That's where all the woke stuff's coming from is because we solved a lot of the health problems that were plaguing our society. So now it's time to start working on some of the more philosophical ones and some of the ones that are relational and social in nature. So it's I, mm. I see it as progress in our species and uh, we will get it figured out eventually, but it's it's going to be a messy process. But we just got to be nice to each other throughout the process, and it would be a lot more productive. How do you feel as someone who's somewhat religious, right? Mm -hmm. How do you feel about this argument that these woke politics are coming from a place of emptiness and lack of meaning and lack of religion right the like the, the the place that religion held for our parents and grandparents is empty now how much do you put stock into that i mean i don't i think what, it could i think don't. that there's no reason that couldn't be true for an individual but as far as being able to make that a blanket statement that applies across the board i, I don't think so i think that spirituality is too personal for that and i and that's why i i struggle a lot with talking about the church as uh, mm. as an entity un unto itself, because the church is like, it's, what is that, a building? Does mm. that mean the group of people who <laughs> occupies mm. that specific building? Does it mean every church? To, what does it mean? Like, it, it, there's mm. just, there's a lot of definitions that are ambiguous. And I, I think the, the thing that really matters the very most when it comes to spirituality and indirectly also religion, because they're not the same thing, I think what matters is that you are figuring out what works for you and that you are somehow making that connection to something deeper than yourself. Uh -huh. And a lot uh -huh. of people can do that a lot of different ways. I, I, I think that that's what really matters. And when you get bogged down in like, who's right, who's wrong, uh, and all the ways that this group is, is persecuting this other group and all that stuff, because that stuff's happening constantly. It, it won't mm -hmm. ever, it won't, there will never be a human institution that is absent of those things. So I think that it's important to put that stuff on hold every once in a while and focus on the extracting some value from those systems and seeing like, okay, well, there are still a lot of people who are getting a lot of benefit out of this. Right. So Don't could we figure out a way to get those without one. the bad stuff? Sorry. Sounds like you have a really healthy kind of individualist way of thinking about spirituality. Right? Yes. And I just wonder, so I really feel like you've got a really healthy perspective on it. But let me let me put it this way as someone who's probably taken a little bit of an opposite trajectory, right? I think a lot of people in our generation had this thing of in the 2000s really feeling like, oh, fuck yeah, four horsemen of atheism. What are they called? 
the, yeah. you know, the, you know what I'm talking about. You were you privy to that, like with yeah. Richard Dawkins and all that, right? You know, like, so I was a young man who really got his rock. Bill Maher's Religulous was uh, all the rage. <laughs> ah, Bill Maher. Dude, I go back and forth on that guy. Me but, too, um, but I, I, he's somewhat yeah, likable. Yeah. I, I can't, I, I can't dislike what's him. what's about him. It's that he's so unlikable, but he still doesn't really care, right? Yeah. Somehow I, that I, keeps bringing me back. Like, I really feel like, God, you're such a fucking just so unlike like it's just he does these interviews and it's so clear when he gets like someone challenges him a bit and he never lets it go you're just like god you're just a fucking 10 year old but he yeah. also doesn't give a shit and, and also he's more, really smart he gives a shit about shit like and he's that. a great public speaker yeah, yeah. he's entertaining right. as fuck yeah yeah but anyway exactly. yeah so the the atheism so, was all so the rage in those years think about this yeah exactly so this is like i kind of grew up in my teen years like you know putting my what is it thumb to the nose or thumb in the asshole of but probably both religious yeah. you were you were uh little column a little column b yeah you yeah. were right in there with the so mainstream like mocking us jesus right. freaks right exactly which i look back which on we now, forgive you for pretty yeah please yeah I, you'll burn you know, in the I've pits of hellfire for all of eternity but i forgive you exactly exactly <laughs> i love that like you know if you're gonna get raped forever by the devil but um <laughs> You know, but I, still I personally you. forgive you. You know, I personally, <laughs> you know, it's not on me. But no, I mean, so I, I'm more sympathetic to this view of like, fuck. I do feel like we're kind of generationally. Like, I just wonder how much your perspective that you outlined there. I wish that would sink in more, right? Like, I feel like I. It's done a lot for me to think about, like you're saying be a good person and you know try to you know that sounds so vague when i say it that way but yeah you got to define it it. what's good it fucking pales that's exactly the problem it pales in comparison to like you know my grandfather talking about you know fucking just giving a sermon on the bible right that's that's exactly the problem i'm talking about right he didn't have people with smartphones googling him ask like fact checking him as he goes yeah yeah but I, I do think, do you, don't you think there's something to this of like people in our generation is just being kind of like, we don't have that anchor, right? I mean, I yeah. think this is also why Jordan Peterson is so fuck, so famous, right? I mean, you know, he's got the 12 simple rules because God damn it, we don't have any goddamn 12 simple rules anymore. We used to have yeah. 10, right? Yeah. And I think there's a longing for that on both sides. You got people going to Jordan Peterson and you got people on the other hand going to, um, you know, Trans, trans women are women, right? With the cl- with the emoji clap. With the claps, right? yeah. Right, That's and those important. both ends of the spectrum, they're all probably good people on some level, and 100%. they could probably get along if they've just tried. Hundred percent. If they didn't know the other person's reading material or Twitter Twitter following, they probably could talk about it, right? People all you want know? the same things. They just don't know how to make it all work to where we can all have them. Like yeah. you just, you I mean, want safety, security, your family to be protected. They're very human impulses. So 100%. It's, it's, yeah, it's hard to try to take that out of context for me. Right. It's hard for me to look at a person even who's saying something that, that's racist or homophobic. And, and it's hard for me not to see the humanity in that person. I don't see a monster, yeah. even if they're saying monstrous things. Right. I mean, I remember in 2009, I posted a thing to Facebook about like, and I'm really going out on the limb here, right? Here's a real cancelable, cancelable thought. But I posted something on my status like, 
something in the line of every time I see the Dateline catch a predator, I just feel bad for the predator, right? Yeah. Now, how dare you? I'm just telling. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. I mean, obviously, this guy's fucking harming, doing immeasurable harm to children. Obviously, I'm just going to go out on a limb and be anti-pedophilia, right? Yeah, we are but very anti-pedophiles like, yeah. on this show. Right. Yeah, that's I know that's a policy. But no, you got to think of, yeah, like it's you. Everybody has a little bit of humanity. I, I, sh- I shouldn't have just fucking gone down that line. No, well, well, now is, we got pedophiles in the mix. It's hard. Right. We, it's suddenly a, gonna, a slippery I'm topic. I'm gonna retract that. I'm gonna issue an apology. But right? yeah, I, I know, know the I, that I was causing. But the principle stands, right? That if you take, if you like, listen to an NPR story on a trans teenager who's being denied medical care like you have to be a fucking monster to not listen to that and just feel outraged just feel outraged yeah horrified at the inhumanity of the system right it's horrifying and then on the other hand you know you can't listen to a story of um you know a fucking economically disenfranchised trump voter who's had who's addicted to opiates has had everything taken from him and sits there and says outrageous shit about, um, you know, the libtards and, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's hard to deny. And those weren't equivalent examples. I, I don't want to hold defenders I, in court. I think I see your you point. You know what I mean, right? But, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're basically just saying we all need to stop being so hard on Jeffrey Epstein. Exactly. So he might have been... He might have been involved in. All right, I'm not gonna. I'm not we gonna can't go too far on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. I'm glad. I just feel seen. I feel seen now that you've seen that. I know what you mean, though, and that, like, everyone's just a person, and there are some pretty fucked up people out there, but if we all just acknowledge that we're all kind of fucked up and just try to meet in the middle somewhere, it's gonna be easier than if we all pick teams and then battle. Right. Yeah, especially because I mean, the teams are not that, very well defined anymore. Right. And making teams out of it makes nobody smarter. And no. this is a this is a, a point made. I'm not the first person to make it, but we live in a society where, you know, we liberals, we we believe that a murderer can be rehabilitated, right? Like uh-huh. I believe that a murderer can be rehabilitated and become a productive person member of society, right? That a former Nazi can can be rehabilitated, right? So why don't Warner we Bob extend Braun. that? Why don't we? Yeah. So why don't we extend that level of generosity to someone who posted in defense of a transphobe? Fucking save J.K. Rowling collection. That's where we're going. Full circle. I thought you were going to say pedophiles and I was going to disagree. Yeah, I'm not going to go that far. I'm going to grab a a third beer. And as we know, the, the third beer is decisive, right? It is. Three beer Jeff is like the last uh, usable, workable, good Jeff. Four beer Jeff right. is a, just a nightmare. Five beer Jeff right. is getting kind of sleepy. Six beer Jeff is in bed. Uh, you mind if I pee before? I feel like we hit a natural. Yeah, go ahead. Break. I'm actually right? gonna. Right. I'm gonna do the same. So I'm gonna pause. Right. Pause the recording. It's a real and... bowel movement. Wait, you're gonna you're gonna film yourself no, peeing? I just no. I just wanted to use that joke. Oh, no, I'm I'm gonna go off to the bathroom. I'll be back okay. in a sec. See you soon. Resume. I think we touched on some some deep stuff there. I think we hit a real stride. I think so too. I would like to get a little bit more details about you. Mm-hmm. So, how'd you end up in your current profession? How'd you end up over in Europe teaching? Well, I'm actually not 
teaching anymore. I I work for a software company here in Vienna now oh. doing, in, in communications, right? Just working in several languages. Uh-huh. And I actually got started teaching just in the South, just kind of on a whim because I, I studied languages because I just knew I wanted to I wanted to have some adventures. And when I was a kid, I always thought it was just cool when people could speak a lot of languages. And I really didn't have any more thought. I didn't have any more It is cool. It is, it is pretty cool, yeah. I mean, I still think it's cool. I should kind of remind myself of that. Yeah, and um, it's probably a lot more common in other countries, huh? People who are yeah, it is more bilingual. Common. Yeah. I mean, you can always kind of separate yourself by being a native English speaker, right? That's that uh-huh. sort of... That puts you you in say things like crunk. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Crunk or, oh my God, I was at my workout. We were kind of had like a a work party and there was this Irish girl and I was just like, I have probably four beers in and she just says to me like, I love your accent. You sound just like Macklemore. <laughs> like, oh. That's great. You get slapped in the face for that. One. Do you remember when he came and played at Western while we were there? <laughs> I was not there, but I do remember it. He played what, a concert. Whatever in, happened in to him? He could not have fared well from all of this, like five or six years, right? God, I don't know. How fucking long ago was Same Love, right? That song oh, yeah. is basically at this point, that song is basically a right wing anthem, right? That that is, feels so long ago. It's a little bit. Like, I'm trying to think of why where it would be problematic in there. No, I don't mean that it's problematic. It's just like. Remember when it was a statement to like come out for for gay marriage? Right? Oh yeah, even though like the whole time he's like, "Oh yeah, it's so okay to be gay, but just so you know, I'm not gay." Just so you know, a pound pussy. So I um yeah, I always wanted to be someone with languages, and then yeah, the natural the natural move with that is to become a teacher, right? Yeah. How long did you teach in Austria mm-hmm. the first time? So I taught from twenty. 13 right after graduation until 2015 16 right until that period and i worked briefly for like a a foundation like an austrian american foundation and it was really in the countryside man i was really i i was really on like the foot of the alps like one of these towns that's just basically a train station and then everything out there and it was honest i mean it is it's the experience of a lifetime it really was it was a it was a it was a 90 degree turn in my life plan, right? Uh-huh. I mean, I really expected nothing. I thought, oh, fuck, a small town. I had never lived in a small town of that amount of people. And I had already done a, an exchange in Germany, which was good, but it was also somewhat lonely, you know, like I wasn't a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really thought like, fuck, I don't know if this is it. You but, just rolled the dice. You know. Right. One year, I mean, fuck it. You can do anything for one year. And right? plus, I what else are you going to do yeah. with a German and Spanish degree? Like, exactly. you got like, You well, have to do yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, my other option is I, like, become a teacher in a public school and do that for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Which you could actually always still be, do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you ever need wait to. for the story here. This is going to take you. Yeah. So then, but it turned out that I just landed in a place where it's in the south of Austria in this, in this state called Carinthia, which is kind of like, I think of it as like the Texas of Austria. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Right. Well, it's not core. It's not with an O. It's with an A. It's just completely unrelated, actually. Okay. But. um. Oh, yeah. Corinthians were from Corinth. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's completely, it comes from the Latin root. Let's not even go down the Roman Empire phase. <laughs> but yeah, it's called Corinthia. It's the southernmost state there. And it's sort of like Texas in a lot of ways. Number one, it's kind of got this independent streak, right? Mm. It's got this independent streak. Like it's sort of like, you know, are you an American? I'm a Texan, right? It's sort of yeah. this vibe in Corinthia. It's got that independent streak, just like Texas fought the Mexicans. I hope so. I can't believe I just said that without checking it, but I think so. Alamo, right? That's kind of, they used to be their own republic, right? So the south of Austria also kind of has this border mentality where they're overly proud of being Austrian. And just like build the wall type of, shit? Just to give you a point of contact. So like the percentage of people in Austria and Germany that became like SS guards is two or three times higher in Corinthia than it is in any other state, right? Okay, so okay. Just to give you that kind of thing there. There's like story, you know, right. They have, They're they on have the edge that. of, yeah. Think about it, they're bordering Italy and bordering Slovenia, right? And as Yugoslavia as it used to be. Mm -hmm. So they have, they've got a little bit of a complex there. And it's also like Texas in that, yeah, they've got a complex, but it's unbelievably friendly, right? Okay. Just the kind of like open friendliness that you're just not used to if you're from a city, right? Yeah. And being who I was, and so that's the three points and the fourth point that really sealed the deal is that I've always loved folk music. That was kind of my thing. And in Corinthia, there was a tradition where their folk music, meaning the meaning, the music that just came from the people, that was what that they were singing when they were working the fields, is a cappella, three or four or five part as it used to be songs right that men would just sing right three or four or five part i mean you you might as well call it choral music right they did uh -huh. this isn't the part of the alps where they were yodeling this isn't the part where they had horns and um accordions this is really the part where they were just singing their songs right using the instruments this... god gave them exactly and they 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 have this outrageous tradi tradition of it to the point where choral singing is, I mean, just another little statistic, like of all the places in Europe, like it's something insane. It's like literally 13% of the adult population is in a choir, right? Like imagine. That's that, pretty cool. You know, that is unbelievable, right? So that was then the fourth thing that just sealed the deal. And being interested in that, being an American, but there's no Americans down there, and being also into learning the language and the dialect, it just immediately kind of, it was like a little bit of a, sealed the deal and it was a little bit of like a whirlwind romance. I, I bet. just absolutely fell in love with the place. For And those two years were just like an unreal, just an unreal experience. I mean, it was like, it, it, yeah, I mean, it is like falling in love, right? You lose, completely lost perspective in that way. And Did you feel like a new like version of yourself? A hundred percent, yeah. Being in a whole new place? Right. And, and it is, yeah, 100%. And it is also like the love metaphor work because it's also a little bit of an illusion, right? Uh -huh. Like I remember after a year there, I wrote something to friends like, like I don't know how I can even say this because there's no way you can understand, right? And I uh -huh. think friends are just like, all right, fucking whatever. You know, like just like you might talk like someone's got a new girlfriend and you're just like, uh, you guys just don't get it. Bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a lot of, like that, but still to this day, I mean, those were incredible, incredible times. 
There was also a rowing club there and a tiny little lake, and I used to run around and sing. I remember I hearing about that. You did do a little bit of rowing up there. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have the urge to row anymore? I do. I do. Until I get in the boat, and then it immediately disappears. It's like, oh yeah, this is I really remember hard. You, you talked about that in one of the podcasts, yeah. and I, I, I wanted to tell you, like, all you have to do if you get the urge to row is to just row once, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you're That'll like, take oh, care of that. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I went back and did an alumni race in Seattle, just like we used to do. Oh, and at, at it, Windermere, right? Yeah, yeah. It was uh-huh. three years ago or two years ago. Gosh, it's hard to mm-hmm. keep track of how many years now because of the COVID pandemic and all that. But um, yeah. yeah, it was fun. But it, it definitely, it scratched my itch for at least the time being. It's, right. yeah. it's a sport that takes Thanks. so much yeah. effort just to get yourself through it. That it's like, unless it falls in my lap, I might never do it again. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. Like, um, it's like we used to always say it's like an abusive relationship, right? Yeah, because you have like twenty, let's say twenty practices a month that are just an absolute fucking torturous shithole, right? Yeah, and then you have one practice where it is like bliss. You've you've touched god i mean i knew I, he didn't I, mean it i have right i have both of those practices in memory right there's the one where like nothing you do works it's a fucking shithole the coxswain sucks ass and the boat just won't move right and then there's the other one where like everything you touch turns to gold right like it's just like you're on you're you're not even touching the water you're just the boat just sets just itself above it yeah you're just above everything and like you just truly feel like you set the oar in and you're just you're just hanging right you're just hanging like there's nothing it's so easy you can't even believe you ever had a problem with it do you remember this one particular practice where it was i was stroking brandon was my pair partner and then i feel like it was you and matt in the bow pair and we were in the coho yeah this big heavy slow coho yeah and we were doing that drill where the eights had the the jv eights the JV eight-person boats had to race us, and we were in this old, slow four-person boat, which should be way slower. And they, uh, we were just kicking ass, and we they could yeah. not catch us. And then we we were doing this drill where we had to do a really long ratio, so like a, a super long recovery, and then one big stroke, and then a long wait, and then one big stroke. And the the eight was allowed to do whatever kind of race cadence they wanted. And I remember the the feeling of power that I had on those those strokes. I couldn't believe that we were pulling away from the eights in the first place. Something about that made it just seem like, oh my god, I we could go as fast as we want. I felt like we could just go infinitely yeah. faster. And uh, that happens so rare that it's like, that is so seared in my memory. Cause I don't know if I ever felt right. like that during a race, maybe one, I think actually the the one race um, in Vancouver, my last year in the four, the varsity mm-hmm. four, where I felt like it connected like that. And we just, I, th- I don't even know if we won. We either got first or second, but the vast majority of those times are just like, really hard and it feels like everything's going yeah. wrong i mean i've had some more experience with rowing also coaching and, and racing in austria oh and yeah I, I do think just like on a on a person like just maybe on a, on a more specific to us level i think we had a problem with racing at western i don't think we were coached well for racing i, I think, think we had that, an issue with yeah. racing 
I what do you think it was? Because I have a theory on that too. I have I have my opinion, and I know the way that I coach or think things is based on my personality. But I think that the focus was always on us. Like you would just go ham in a race, right? Like we remember there'd be things. It's like, all right, our race cadence is thirty now, but we just know it's going to be thirty-six in the race, right? And there's、yeah. just this vibe that, like, in the race, everything comes unglued, and we、yeah. had this. We just had this. We had this like general air that the races just had. Like the coxswain had to be fucking losing, losing his or her voice, right?、Mm-hmm. Shit needed to be just an inch away from. Just, just like things just were just unglued.、And、Your blood me, should just be packed full of cortisol. Yeah, yeah, me、it's、too. Exactly the opposite of how I work. I mean, I really, I don't know how your perspective might be different, but. For me, it's like I need、nope. someone to calm me down in a race, right? I want、yeah. someone to hold me to my plan because there's no chance. And this is also I hate being yelled at doing workouts because there's no chance I'm not gonna exhaust myself. Like why fucking yell at me? You're not gonna pull <sighs> anything out of me that I can't do. I know,、yeah. I know for a certain Matt Ryder, our our rowing colleague, would disagree with that. I know for I've talked to him about it and he disagrees. But、yeah. I feel like we were not well prepared for races, and we suffered for that, which is a shame. But I、yeah. think I agree what, completely. What do you think? What's your perspective? I, I've had the same thought over the years since leaving crew, because、um, I coached a little bit too. Right after I was done as an athlete, and、mm-hmm. I coached just like I had been taught, which was you go 100% every stroke and don't worry about two strokes away, because right now you're you're just worried about this stroke. And I understand the logic. To like, if you have a group of guys who who might not be as personally motivated as I think a lot of us were, you might need to do、mm. tricks like that to try to get every last like really squeeze out the rag and get every last drop of effort out of these people. I don't think that we had、right. that issue, and I think it was、yeah. like you said, it was the other direction where we were so wound up and so tense, and then it just like it's like if you take a、um, well, it's like what's something that. I don't know if you're uh, uh, if you're trying to wind a spool of wire that's really really stiff wire and it really wants to be straight. You wind it, wind it, wind it, and as long as you keep that pressure on it, you got it on the spool. It's fine. But if you let go of it, it just unravels and just goes crazy. That's how races felt right, to me. Right, right, right. And right,、um, yeah. because and I would I would feel it in myself. And a good a good example was like a half strokes when Maggie would be like, "All right,、uh, Jeff, take a half stroke." That was really hard for me to do, and I would, or like half pressure, half pressure. I would, within five strokes, if we're rowing at half pressure, within five strokes, I'm going full pressure again, and it was just because my right, brain is just like going. I wanted to pull as hard as possible, and I thought that was the goal. Right, right. I thought that like I wanted to see white water in my puddles.、Um, like the whole first right, couple yeah, of years、yeah. I was rowing, I didn't even realize, I didn't understand the physics of what it is we were trying to do. How we are not just trying right, to、yeah. pull the oar through the water, but you're trying to send the boat and transfer that energy right, from right, from the rigidity、right. of your oar into the boat to move it. Not just, you know, I, I just、totally. didn't fully get it. But yeah, I think、totally. that we could have been better if we would have had our emotions a little bit more under control. Right. I think, and the truth, two points there. Like the first one is, yeah, I, I think that's just the natural thing that twenty, twenty, twenty-one year old dudes will do. Right. They want to go hard. Like yeah, you. Yeah, you just want to fucking go hard, right? Yeah. And the truth of it is that this is a this is a great thing. I heard like a jujitsu coach say: if you're going as hard as you can every day, then you're not going as hard as you can, 
right? Ooh. Because that's impossible, right? Yeah. You'll if break. your vibe is every stroke, I'm going as hard as I fucking can, and you, and, and you do that every stroke, well, then you're lying to yourself, right? Because the Oly- Olympic athletes will talk about, like, yeah, you can't do as hard as you fucking can. You know, it just doesn't work, right? Well, that's like the concept of 110%. Uh, uh, People are always saying, oh, yeah, you got to give 110%. It's like, that's illogical. And that's what we were trying to do. So so like when we were, we were told you're you're going 100% and then you're going to take a move in in two. We're going to do a power 10. So like, but I'm already pedals to the floor. How am I supposed to go faster than this for a move? And so the moves would be not effective and like half the boat would be able to yeah exactly it was just it wasn't we we weren't cohesive we weren't a cohesive unit in that moment and just to play for the other side of things i know like matt our our friend our colleague of rowing he wants to it it, a thousand to go he wants to feel like he couldn't take another stroke by his own this is his own perspective that made me feel like crying when i felt like that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right like i never i always wanted to feel strong yeah i want to feel like oh fuck yeah halfway to go they don't know what's coming right yeah I'd i never ever that felt way. that way what do you mean like, i never oh, ever felt her. power at the halfway point i felt I've, well, terror on the erg i did on the yeah, rowing yeah. machine i did yeah i did sometimes mm-hmm. there but that yeah. i mean that's a whole nother sport rowing on land right right it's right. a whole nother beast but mentally. the pacing of it should be the same so when I was coaching high schoolers, right, and um, I even coxed a couple of, I coxed a race. Oh yeah, man. cool. Yeah, it was a four, it was a forty minute like the lake, the Lake Samish Classic. It was a ten k, mm. right? Oh, By but the that way, was fun. You know, all, you know how all rowers are like, man, I could fucking cox. Like, why can't you cox? Yeah, it seems so easy. It's fucking easy, dude. <laughs> it's, it's not hard. You would be a great coxswain. That's funny. I thought all you were gonna go the other way with that. <laughs> No, all you got to do is be able to talk to people, be a little bit charismatic and have just a somewhat of an idea of what would fix something. Right. Yeah. That's something we didn't have, man. Like a, no one ever made a technical correction. Right. Not often. No. Like imagine a coxswain who's chilling you out and is like, all right, we're a little short on the front end right here in two. We're going to, you know, lengthen that out, get every length out in that voice. Why fucking scream it? One, yeah. I'd say one, two, a little more length. Yeah, that's it. Boom. Who was your favorite yeah, coxswain to row for? At Western? Yeah. Probably Mine Zach. was Ken. <laughs> Are you being serious? No. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> he sucked. Um <laughs> No, definitely Maggie. Really but Maggie. I, yeah. yeah, I thought Maggie. Um, and like she was the varsity coxswain when I started the program, so I assumed that she knew what she was talking about. And I liked their style. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to, to talk about this without talking shit on, on coxswains. Uh, because yeah. I, that's the last thing I wanted to do. Ken will never hear this. Nobody knows where Ken even is or where no, he no. was. <laughs> He's just a figment of our imagination. <laughs> yeah, he was like a visitor from, from the future or whatever. Yeah. Shout out, Ken. Hope you're doing good, buddy, wherever you are in the world. But no, since since I think back on those rowing years, is I have really mixed feelings about it. You know, I really do. Mm-hmm. Do you think it shaped you as a person? It was, 
Yeah, definitely. There's no question about that. But it was also so many. I mean, it was so many hours, Jeff. Think of how many calories. Mental hours. Yeah. And all the hours in fear, knowing you are about to have to go to do a practice in just a couple hours. Oh, my God. The amount of anxiety I would go through on during spring break when we were doing daily doubles in the hours between the first practice and the second practice, you get enough time to shower, put on dry clothes, eat some food, sit down exhausted for like 20 minutes, and then you get up and go do it all again. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And it's that kind of exhaustion where you feel like physical symptoms. Like I might die. Yeah. I might die. Dude, I had a spring break. I don't know when it, it was the junior year because we were in that house. But um, it was a time period when I didn't drink coffee, right? Uh-huh. I didn't drink any oh, coffee. Oh, yeah, I forgot that about that. You weren't doing caffeine at all. Yeah. And I fucking got these Cliff Bars, which had caffeine in them, but I didn't know. Uh-huh. And I had this thing where I was so fucking exhausted and I would try to nap. And I was just fucking down in these Cliff Bars <laughs> and I couldn't sleep. And I didn't know why. And it was these fucking cliff bars. Literally one of the worst periods. Like I look back on that and just being um, absolute hell. Like physically and mentally hellish. Right? Like absolutely terrible. In every... My mental health suffered. My physical health suffered from it. And I didn't feel like I was getting to be a better rower. So I I think back on moments like that. And that those are the moments where I'm like, Yo, man, I, 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 why did we do I that? Was a 20 year old. I was a 20 year old, man. Like, like my friends were, you know, going home your on friends. The weekend yeah. Or I mean, a lot of my friends their, just you know. were either rowers or I didn't talk to them anymore. I had that during those mm-hmm. years. That's the you guys were all I all I saw. You, you were the only people I, I would really talk. I didn't even talk to people in class or anything because I was so exhausted. Yeah. I was just trying not to fall asleep. Um, yeah. Do you remember um, we took a history class together? I was going to bring that up. That was one of my favorite classes ever. It was fun. 20s, 30s, wasn't it? it was, yeah, yeah. American history, 20s read, and 30s. We read Grapes of Wrath, I remember. Yeah. But um, I remember going to that class after a 2K. Uh-huh. And being completely fucking useless. Yeah. Right? Like, just not Can't a think normal straight. human. God, our professor was kind of kind of pretty good looking there, wasn't she? Am I she was. That? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even remember what color her hair was, but... I, Actually, I don't remember even what ethnicity she was, but I remember the fact well, that she, she was had, like, she had, in like, her rather, 40s and good looking. She had very, like, she had a lot of sun. Like, she mm-hmm. had the vibe of, like, she used to have a lot of acne. Oh. And now it was just, like, sort of, like, um, a rather glowing red, reddish. Like, she had pale skin, but it was somewhat red from previous inflammation. Or rosacea. could yes could have been rosacea but it had that vibe you know it's like when somebody maybe this is me but you know that vibe when someone you're into has like a little a little defect that makes it even more attractive right wabi sabi wabi sabi what's that wabi sabi is like the uh i think japanese concept of uh imperfections that create beauty like um when oh my god i'm gonna write that down yeah it's it's a design thing like a, a little, I don't know, I don't know like a, think of a hand-carved spoon. Yeah. Each one's going to be a little different. Um, it's going to have a little wabi-sabi to it, that if that makes it. sense. Right. 100%. No, because like when you said the spoon, I totally got it, right? Yeah. Like, it's got a little character to it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. like, this isn't some airbrush model. This is like 40-year-old. She's got her doctorate in history. Yeah. Um, you know, you see a little bit of the imperfection. You imagine, like... 
oh, she's in this stage. Like, does she have a family yet? Is she concerned about that? You know, I, is she thinking about the biological clock or is she going like, you know, uh, I'm no, she's thinking about the Great Depression. No family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's that sort of thing like we're sitting there reading Great Gatsby. Like, are you thinking about the emptiness of, of material existence or are you just like content with your you just invited to wonder about what's going on? There, right? Yeah, I, I, I kind of always that in that class felt like it like me and you were uh, like, honestly, it felt like we were on a podcast and everyone else was just like listening to us riff. <laughs> <laughs> did we riff were we were we loud we were riffing yeah we memory. dude we answered all the questions like the it, we were in that class okay, with a bunch of that. young it was younger people in the class and um it seemed like no one else was really that excited to be there i think that was the one of the first classes i ever had where i had a friend in there so i was like excited to go every time and i was uh oh. yeah I, I feel like i remember being uh very on for, for yeah. those sessions it was a good i mean was it just a fucking good class yeah, it was. I, I really enjoyed read it. Grapes of Wrath, and I remember being pretty confident that nobody else had actually read the book. Yeah, right? yeah. Because there's that famous, there's that scene in the end where the guy breastfeeds, sucks, sucks the titty of it. Well, yeah, okay, breastfeed slash sucks the titty. It's more of a breastfeed. It's, it's not. Well, he was hungry. That's why she did yeah, it. Yeah, but she, it's much more like she. Yeah, I mean, she. Either way, it's not like it's not like he's you know. Almost a bad titty, you know. He's he's yeah. dying, right? So yeah. He either yeah, way, I was fully erect. Right. <laughs> uh, but no, it, uh, it, really it was a fun class. It was a vibe. fun class. Right. Rosa yeah. Sharon, yeah. man. Ooh, Rosa Sharon. Which, by the name? way, what a weird name. Yeah, that was her name. You look it up now. No, I didn't. I just remember. That's one of my favorite oh, books. You remember? Yeah. Oh God, damn. Okay. My dad loves. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath. I think he used to talk about it when I was a kid. Uh, like, my dad was big into books, and um, he would talk about that one. It was like, it, when you're older, you got to read this book. And then, so I read it in high school, wasn't crazy about it, mm. and then read it again then in college. And I liked it a lot better that time. It, it made yeah. sense with some historical context. I mean, I don't know why we're shoving these kind of books under high schoolers. Yeah, the assigned reading for high schoolers is not that great. Dick, right? They should it's only so do bonkers. dystopian like, novels. Just do shit that high school. Like, come on, man, do shit that high schoolers want to do. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. You know what I'm. You know what I mean? Like, just why? Let them watch YouTube. We had to read night. Literally, we had to read 1984 in when I was an eighth grader, and you know, That's you were joking early. about being fully erect there. Oh, it's so much too early. Like, they're just like, take this test and write, you know, and if you're not halfway with your head up your ass, those tests they give you, they say that you're like, oh, well, your child is reading at the grade level of an 11th grader, right? You know? Yeah. So they'll give you a 1984, right? And I I'm being serious. Like, the only thing I remember about 1984 was the sex scene and being uh -huh. like an eighth grader reading that. And you don't remember the rats the book, eating the guy's face? Oh, well, I fucking remember that too. Okay. Ugh, yeah. I'm so with it. horrible. My, my point is, is that Ugh. if you, you know, if you read the book, that's literally, it's the least erotic, the sex scene. If there's any sex scene that had nothing to do with sex, it's this sex scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's literally I, like, the, like, it's literally like his climax was a victory against the party, you know, whatever. It yeah. is. It's something like that. Right. It just Big shows brother like, was watching. Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> right. 
big brother was watching one hand on the mouse one hand otherwise <laughs> but yeah it just goes to show that like this fucking eighth grade you have no business reading that right if you no, no it doesn't even make sense you don't have the historical context to exactly to make sense of any of it yeah because exactly. you i eighth grade that's before you even learn about world history and like the communist stuff and yeah. the cold war and right. any any of that yeah it, all the stuff that makes right. that book relevant right right 100 percent and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just this bigger thing about you talked before about how like nobody reads, right? I got I got opinions on that, man. I think like people that. actually do. I make that joke because so many people brag about not reading. Um, but I think people actually do. Audiobooks. I, are a I big don't have thing. any like. Yeah, well, audiobooks are great. Like, fuck yeah, that's a great thing. I love listening. I mean, this is the era of era of podcasts, but yeah, fucking why give your kid that shit? I remember just really loving reading and hating the books that we had. Like we just got yeah. we just got given the the kind of books that would just like absolutely just the Scarlet Letter out of things, right? Like oh yeah, my god, things like that where you're like it's so like I get the vibe that you want to give people, yeah, like maybe. High schoolers should have to suffer through Shakespeare once, right? Okay. I Romeo and Juliet. It's like certain things, certain things are cultural touchstones that you just have to know about if you're going to be, I get that. Yeah. But also like, why, like, like, why not give, what, give Lord of the Flies instead of 1984, right? I got Lord of the like, Flies. That's a challenging, you got that in high school? Eighth grade. Yeah. Well, yeah. oh, that's pretty early though. What'd you think? I fucking loved it. I was obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. I felt I related very strongly to Piggy, um, which yeah, well, is neither here nor there. We won't dissect that, but I loved Dude, the book. I thought put it was a flag really in cool. that because I've got a I've got an anecdote I want to share with you. About okay. why I can just say it now. Yeah, uh, I have a memory with you where I felt really ashamed. Can I mm. give you this anecdote? I, would love I to hear had it. an incident where in high school, you know, I was kind of a fuck up in high school, like didn't have a lot of friends but was just kind of like a little bit of a class clown right uh -huh. and um i was always really involved in the sports things i didn't play sports but i was like the big the super fan and i was screaming at the other fans right and um i was kind of proud of it and i told a story we were all hanging out like with the crew people right and i was telling a story of being at like the big basketball game with it was our school versus the rival school columbia rivers and skyview and um, I was in the front, like shit painted and everything. And a kid on the other team started taking free throws. And he was a somewhat rotund dude, right? Uh-huh. Okay. And I started a cheer of jelly oh, no. donut. Oh, God. Right? And no. the entire fan section of our school started doing it too, right? And, and that guy later guy killed missed, himself. He missed both free throws. Let's put it that way. <laughs> of course right? he did. Happened afterwards, right? Oh, God. And I told this story at a crew gathering. You know, we must have been, I must have been 19 or you we were probably 20. And good on you because you called me out in front of everybody. And you were like, <laughs> that is not a, you, I can hear it to this day. Like you said, that is not a story you should be proud of. That's pretty fucked up. And that was it. That was it. And it was silent. Right? And I just I'm felt, sorry, man. No, uh, it's totally now, okay. I'm the guy I who mean, said the jelly donut thing. I, I put you on the spot just like you did to that fat fuck. 
No, well, <laughs> no, but it's totally, I mean, it's stuck in my head because, you know, I immediately knew and everybody else knew that was laughing at the story. They're like, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's not good. That's not really a story. You should be parading Man, around, my brain right? works like that. I find that stuff very easily. It's like, uh, I like making fun of people. I like hurting people's feelings. And that, and I realized when I was about 16 years old that I, I'm better at this than most people. So I should probably not do it. And it right. it really changed my life, changed who I am. I, I used to take pride in, in like roasting people, finding the things that they were insecure about and then just putting them on display for the world to see. Wait, um, so this is I, a real like moment for you. Like this is a conscious decision at 16? Yes, like, you're yes. Really? I actually okay. remember where wow. I was. I wrote a letter to my ex-girlfriend and I, oh, uh, after we had serious. broke up, and it was uh -huh. really mean. And I said stuff that I would never have said in person. I, I said shit about her dad leaving her. And uh, this, I remember a few things in, in this letter being just like maliciously mean for no reason, just evil. It was a weapon. I was sending this paper weapon mm. to just pierce and hurt. And I read it to one of my friends. He pretended to be like excited about it with me, but I could tell he was bullshitting. And he actually was like, this is... No. And I remember thinking like, what would I feel like if I actually got this stuff sent to me? And it would have been crushing. And, and I, and I was a super sensitive kid. So people had like one time this guy, <laughs> I was walking down the hallway at school and, and my sister was walking the other direction and I was in seventh grade and she was in high school and she's like, Oh my gosh. Hey, Jeffrey. And then this big, tall kid who was like, in high school, I didn't, I didn't know him. He's like, oh, hello, Jeffrey. And he grabbed both of my uh, voluptuous middle school breasts. Fuck, dude. And like, f gave me a couple real good squeezes. Everybody laughed, it was hilarious. And um, I was really fucking embarrassed. And so this is, this is not, a, it wasn't Fuck, a huge this deal. This so horrible. This kind of stuff yeah. happens daily. And yeah, I know, um, man. so it's something that small horrible. would just set me yeah. off. And I, but I'm going out of my way to try to find the most hurtful things and using them against other humans. So it's like, nah, I, I, I'm not going to be that guy anymore. So, so now I, I just don't. And it's hard sometimes because sometimes there's jokes that will really kill. And I would love to say them, but I, I, I it's not worth it. But, but yeah, ah. sorry that I three under the bus on like that i shouldn't have done that either no i, I mean dude no i mean it was it was not even at least in my memory it's not excessive at all i yeah. mean it was it was very like yeah i mean that's pretty i mean what i'm telling is like uh it's almost like the worst of bullying because i was so anonymous from it right yeah like and oblivious probably like you probably yeah, had no well, no concept of the actual hurt a hundred percent. I mean, the story I'm telling, the reason I'm telling the story is because it's what a fucking, look at what a crazy party guy I am, right? Yeah. That's just creatively making these insults, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, but it also was just sort of, it, it's in my mind today. It's yeah. in my head today because things like that stick in your head when you realize, like, there's something going down, right? Yeah, those are important I moments. Mean, I mean, I don't know, man. High school was shit. That sounds rough. I remember how much of an impact it had when uh, like the whole rowing group was privy to a story and like, or a joke that didn't land or any, anything really. Like it was mm -hmm. very impactful. It was like, that was our main social group. Like I remember leading up to our very first race, I couldn't shit for like five days and we were eating massive, massive amounts of calories. So the night before the race, the whole team is sitting there and I, I was pretty nervous. I didn't know everybody still very well. And like, um, 
yeah, I was just super nervous. And one of the guys who was like a grown man who was, right, you know, yeah. on the team with us, I I want to say it was Nick, but it could have very well been Andy. But where, both where of those was, dudes had the same role as grown man, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. and both really cool. I liked them a lot, both and I looked up to them. And so we're sitting at the or all around the dinner table having lasagna at Bobby Marcy's house with his parents, and um, oh shit, okay. I think it was Bobby's, and yeah. Nick or Andy. They noticed I wasn't eating a lot of my plate. They're like, "What's up with you, Jeff? You usually eat a lot more lasagna." Have you still not been able to take a shit? And uh, like they didn't give all the information. So I got to now explain to the party what he's talking about. Uh, Like why uh, there's no more room left in my body. uh, Essentially, I'm going to explode if I have another bite. uh, Because I, you know, it's just not coming out. Did you tell the parents like, hey, for full context, I have not shit. That is what I said. I I was like, actually, to be honest, I have not shit. And I'm in a great deal of pain right now. Uh, thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> we had to wake up so early to go to the races, so everyone was like going to get up at five. I got up like two hours early, uh, <laughs> so I would have enough time while everyone was still asleep to just try to just have a bowel movement unsuccessfully. Just pinch one off. Right, so right. I was very uncomfortable. It's amazing what the body will do when it thinks it's under, you know, like a threat. It was yeah, an anxiety yeah. constipation that lasted a week on a six thousand calorie a day diet. <laughs> That was life threatening. <laughs> oh God! Oh yeah. yeah, that sounds fucking serious. What's the end of the story? I mean, just uh, I mean, you you could probably put the pieces Darcy. together. It eventually <laughs> came out. Darshi blows after right. after, and I hot seated that very first race. I, I went straight from. Oh the, God! Oh wait, I'm starting to get a memory. Yeah. Didn't you for your first regatta like race four times? Is that true? Three, three. I stroked okay. the JV eight. And then I went straight into the Varsity 4, maybe? I don't know. I did the Varsity 4, the Varsity 8, and the JV8. And I remember at the start line, it was so cold. <laughs> and there was like snow falling. And I'm right, just sitting yeah. there with my stomach just bulged out and like <laughs> just in a lot of pain. And feeling emotionally not good. Like uh, yeah. barely keeping my shit together. I was terrified. My body thought I was going to get killed or something because my I was like cold sweating. I kept thinking I was not able to breathe. And it's just like <laughs> the amount of fear and anxiety that came just from getting ready to do a 2000 meter race was yeah, so yeah. huge that my body reacted to it very weird. And I was right. I was like having to struggle to not cry in between those right. two I races. Remember that. I remember you telling us that afterwards that like you were really having a hard time. Yeah, you wanted to cry afterwards. Like it, um, yeah. not not out of pain, but out of like hopelessness. I'm just like this hurts so bad, and I don't know how to pace myself. Right. And then I went, I went home and shit, and felt great. After the races, it really just that broke. Yeah, it was after the after the whole oh, event. Wow. I went home, home to my actual home, and you know, I had tried a bunch of stuff. Like I a couple of days Some... before that, I had even given myself an enema. No luck. No luck. My butthole was just like, nope, I'm keeping it. Terrible. Some projects demand returning to home base. It's just no That's other right. way around it. That's right. But yeah, I mean, but you 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 store a lot of you store a lot of anxiety. You pack that down, don't you? I definitely do. Yeah. I have always. I mean, I think I've always known that about you a little bit, right? You, you pack mm-hmm. stuff down. Yeah, you've I do. Got, I'm a bottler. You've got you've got some deep waters there. Yeah, there's some bottle it up. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. it comes out when I'm not expecting it. I was wrestling with my daughter, 
and she's three, so it's it's really fun. I I, I enjoy it, and we are both By laughing way, really can hard. I just, can I interrupt you for one second? Yeah, just say from the Instagram, your daughter is the most adorable pictures I've ever seen. Oh just man, it's like it's so it's just like it's like you, you know. It can be okay, you know, when your friends start having kids, but like it's so it's like you, but in adorable little three-year-old girl form it has been from the beginning since you started posting pictures it's just like oh my god it unbelievable adorable okay had to interrupt i'm obsessed with her man i think she's the cutest thing ever so we're wrestling we're wrestling and i get her i'm like i'm pinning her and tickling her and she's like ah let me go let me go and i was like gonna do the whole like say uncle thing and it didn't seem like dangerous territory whatsoever and the words that came out of my mouth were, all right, say mercy. And when I said that, I got just this overwhelming wave of grief, of like sadness and fear. And it like kind of caught me off guard. And I wasn't exactly sure why it came up. And then I had to like stop playing and mm-hmm. just step aside for a second and think about it. And it was just like, Amelia, I'm, I'm going to stop. I don't want to play anymore. Can we please not play anymore? And I went downstairs and I was just like, the weirdest thing happened. With, I just And I told Melissa and she's like, what was it that you said that got you all upset? And I, I couldn't say it. Every time I started trying to say it, I just started crying. We don't really know what's stored and what's connected to memories and feelings and all that stuff. It's so complicated in there that like, uh, yeah, yeah, you just never know. But yeah, I think that you're right. And my point for that whole thing was like, I, I do, I bottle stuff up and sometimes I don't even realize it's there. And then I'll just see something or sometimes a movie or a book will, will really strike me. And it's, mm-hmm. it's usually ones about poverty and abuse. And it's just like, I don't know. And actually this was on Father's Day too. So that could have added to it. And now I feel great. I feel fine. So I'm mm-hmm. like, Something yeah, about becoming like a dad. Latent, just running below yeah. everything else that you're thinking about dads. and Yeah. What if- it's as if there's a boiler room in a building. And boiler room makes a ton of noise and it produces heat. And it's, it's really the, creating the energy that's driving this entire system. That's whatever building this is. The, the effects of this boiler room can be felt throughout the entire house. But... You yeah. know, it's it's put in its own little room and then they close the door and it's it gets a lot quieter. And then if you build a wall over that door and, and close it all off, now you can't even access the boiler room and it's even more quiet, but you can still hear it and you still kind of feel the vibration and it's still the same thing that's creating this heat throughout the entire house. And right, I feel like yeah. that's what my childhood memories are that I have just kind of yeah. pushed them to the back and, and not dealt with them. And sometimes they just kind of make themselves known it's, it's weird well i know at the time that i at the time we were we were close right i i do think i think it came across to me is that you seemed you seemed older more adult i mean you talked about andy and nick as being sort of like you know obviously for both me and you they were older especially andy had been he was a veteran right yeah they were um, i think like but 26 I think you also kind of had yeah they were they were much older and much more just aware of the world they seemed like grown-ups and we all felt like kids yeah but i think that even for the rest of us i mean i think that well at least from my perspective i I think you had a latent vibe of having seen something or experienced things that that i was aware that i didn't i didn't know right Mm -hmm. i think that i think i don't think we were ever close enough where that really like 
we ever discussed that, right? Yeah. But I think that there was a certain vibe and we talked a little bit about you being in humble. And, and I mean, you did talk about being being hungry. I remember that's in my head as, a, as something you talked about. But I remember, yeah, I just think that that's part of my Jeff map is that mm-hmm. you're carrying you're carrying something. And and I had an awareness that there's a kind of weight that, that I don't, that I don't understand. Right. I'm not even sure that I always and, do. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it seems very Freudian the way that you say it, especially like the, the idea of an engine room, right? Like, yeah, like, like a little boiler, an engine that's like sort of constantly whirring underneath mm-hmm. everything. I mean, I don't know. Childhood shit is weird. It's just the way you say it, seems like so accurate i feel it an ambient noise like a boiler room going like you're saying you're not aware of it consciously but if but But you still hear it right and you have and you have to talk louder when it's going right yeah you know yeah you're poignant that that's a powerful image for the way you put it well it's like you don't hear your refrigerator until you unplug it and then you're like oh shit that's what quiet sounds like weird (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i don't know man i mean i think if we are trying to end it i'll just put it in the way that like i I do think that at the time there was a vibe where you were like looking for that kind of stability and just seeing like your your just seeing you know what you're posting and what you're doing with the podcast and hearing about you and your family i mean it just sounds like you know I know I'm sure having you know having a family and having children is just another level of stress and responsibility I can't imagine but it's a fulfilling it really one, feels yeah but it feels like you found that thing that was like you were you needed when you were in college at least from my distant perspective it just seems like you have so much going on and so much like fulfilling capital F fulfilling things a yeah. family children you know a passion project and a career that that sustains it i mean it it just it sounds it it just looks i'm happy for it you know well thank you man i think that the key was i stopped trying to uh, you're right i had i did have that sensation that i was carrying something too and i never really knew what it was or if i needed to carry it or or how to not carry it but i think what i was doing in those years that i have kind of stopped doing is just trying to cover it up I would. I just try to numb myself to it by uh, like just going full bore into rowing, or just focusing so much on my education, or by taking drugs. Like there's lots of different mm-hmm. ways to distract yourself from that boiler room noise, and I stopped doing that. And now I just try. I try to sit quietly and listen for the hum, and then follow mm-hmm. it. I try to f- trace it back to its origins and and figure this stuff out. I don't want to be unhappy and running away from my problems forever. I, I think that's something you can do in your 20s, but it just gets old. Now I just want to confront right. things as they come up and I want to live an honest, true, genuine existence. Well, amen to that. Couldn't sound any better. Well, man, I'm not even sure how long we've recorded. It's been a while, but this has been great. We should do another one of God, these. Absolutely, almost three hours, but we really even barely scratched the surface of it. I know. We've got to talk about. I know. We I'm didn't even get into Freud. Questions. I had a bunch of we just Freud, Freud, strictly Freud questions about uh, Vienna. He spent some time there. God, he I would love to get born in there, right? That. Or did he die there? He he was born here, and he he went into exile. You know, he was a Jew. Ah, that's right. And I know it's a little, I don't want to go into like too sort of intricate, you know, historical minutia, 
but the Jews were not well liked in Vienna of the late 1930s. Yeah. So he actually decided to move to, to London and he died in London in exile. Okay, that's yeah. right. But yep, yeah. there's uh, not that many children. famous Viennese, um, Freud and Hitler. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, we've got... Arnold Schwarzenegger? I mean, no, nah, he's from Austria, but like mm. not from Vienna, you know. Okay. People move to Vienna. I mean, they've got some authors, but yeah, Freud is the, is the you know, you just can't, he's the biggest dude. You know? He's a, he's Beyond, a giant. He's a giant. He's a giant. You can't get around Freud. If you're, if you're doing anything, you can't get around Freud, right? I love I mean, Freud. Even in this discussion, we couldn't get away from Freud. Yeah. yeah, I've studied know, I, I, I've studied his stuff a lot. I, it's he's got a, a lot of concepts that I really like. I I, yeah. I think where people get lost is uh, he defines things strangely, and and you have to think about his stuff in a with a lot of openness and flexibility, because it, right, it's yeah. it doesn't all apply to every context, and this and he kind of right. wrote it as if it did. But and yeah, and I also think the problem with Freud is that it's so internalized, like in. Like literally, we can't talk. We can't have this discussion without touching on Freudian concepts, right? Like it's it's so internalized that we don't even realize that's Freudian. Like we're just yeah. sitting here talking about like unconscious energy, you know? Like we just talk about like yeah, I was just kind of antsy or whatever. We we can talk about you know an ambient an ambient boiler running. Right. And it's like, yeah, it's fine. It's so internalized. But if someone started saying like, yeah, that sounds like libidinous energy put into the, he's like, okay, now my bullshit alarms are going off, you yeah. know, but it's, that's just definition. Like this. Yeah, exactly. But this conversation, you couldn't, you couldn't escape Freudian thing. Anyway, yeah. you're right. It's a whole nother, it's a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. It's one that I like to dig out, into. But... Uh, is that Freud yeah. can of worms? Lots to chew on. Speaking of my traumatic childhood, I also ate some worms once. No way. Yeah, I really did. Taste. But that's a story for another day. Terrible, but it was worth the money. All right, man. I'll let you get back to the your schmez. life. Thank you so the much schmez. for joining me on the ramble. It has been really fun. Hey, and let's do it again sometime. It's an absolute pleasure. Let's absolutely do it again. Till next All right. time, my friend. Give your sign off and then we'll get out of here. You prepare to sign off, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, keep well, do good work. And don't true, true. take yourself too seriously. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time. Bye, Keep Andrew. Keep fucking that chicken. <laughs> Keep yeah. fucking that oh, chicken. Bye. Yeah, that's right. Say it with your chest now. Say it with your chest now. I'm free. Can't nobody take me